The Eagle and Child, Episode 22. Mere Christianity, Book 3, Chapter 9. Charity. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer and discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and today we're looking at the chapter of Mere Christianity, which discusses charity, or love. And as usual, I'm joined by Matt, and to paraphrase St. Paul, Matt is patient, Matt is kind, Matt does not envy, Matt does not boast, Matt is not proud. <laughs> All right, I think we can stop there. <laughs> Hold on a second thought. I think you can continue. I'm no. kind of enjoying that. <laughs> I was actually once told to use that as a means of preparing for confession, particularly if you feel like, oh, I haven't done anything wrong. Take 1 Corinthians 13, and rather than love, put in your name and see how far you get. That's a great idea. It's horrible. <laughs> wow. I appreciate you doing that in the beginning. One of my, I think my highest or my second highest love language is words of affirmation. <laughs> Which I kind of laugh at because isn't it pretty much saying, I love when people boost my ego. Like no, 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 like. no, no, no. Because remember la the last episode on pride. It's not pride to enjoy the praise of others as long as you are enjoying the fact you've pleased people that you care about. Oh, that's a good point. I've been Catholic for a long time. I know all the loopholes. <laughs> I was with someone the other day that was, uh, they gave up sweets and they mentioned that Sunday they get an indulge in their sweet and they're like, I'm going to use the legalistic loophole here and make sure I can enjoy some sweets today. That's why we have rules. Uh -huh. So we know how to get around them. <laughs> I just love just calling it out for what it was. <laughs> but anyways, today's going to be a fun day because we're going to explore one of the three theological virtues. And one of my favorites, as already mentioned, charity. My favorite is hope, but we'll get to that next week. All right. Well, then I'm going to take over this, this podcast. All you right. can have the next one. Yep, you drive it. Yeah, I will. And we're going to look at, first, what is charity? Then we're going to look at what does it require of us? Then how do we grow in it? And finally, how does it apply to our relationship with God? All building to that last question. And Lewis has a very simple, straightforward answer to all of this, especially that last one. So friends, play close attention. And if you want to know how to become more charitable, because we do have the answer, mm -hmm. we ask that you wait 25 minutes and it'll come right at the end. <laughs> feel like a salesman right now. <laughs> but you're promising people love. What could be better? Yeah, I promise them the answer, the secret to love. People pay a lot for this. We offer it for free. <laughs> All right, what's the quote today? Uh, it's a good one. It's simple, it's sweet, and it's direct. It's from one of C.S. Lewis's letters, and he says, Agape, referring to Christian love or charity, is all giving, not getting. Very to the point. Mm-hmm. And listeners might notice that my voice is a little deeper than usual. You are still listening to David, not Barry White. But this week I've been sick, so I spent several days in bed, and I drank lemon and ginger tea and a little bit of honey. And so, none of it was working, was it? No. So now you've pulled out the real medicine. Now the real medicine. So we're drinking Jack Daniel's Tennessee honey. It's, uh, it's basically whiskey with lots and lots of sugar. It's going to do the trick. And I'm okay with that. Me too. <laughs> Cheers. A little easier on the throat oh, yeah. than the, the Lafroig 16. 
Yeah, I'm a little ashamed that I even have this in my collection, but it's really for moments like this. <laughs> what is this moment? When you want to use cheap whiskey on a friend as you're recording a podcast, how do you define this moment? Well, I know I'm wasting the good stuff on you. Matt went to a party the other night and he said, oh, I had Lagavulin 16 for the first time. No, you drank it with me. <laughs> so That's fair. I'm only giving you the cheap stuff until you start appreciating the more expensive things. That's fair. I actually kind of like to look at it as I'm a cheap date. You know, I'm a cheap podcast recording buddy. You don't need the expensive stuff with me. And this is why we haven't invited you to the Finer Things Club. Oh, ouch. One day. One day. I want to be a part of that inner ring, as C.S. Lewis says. Inner circle. It's called the inner ring. He calls it the inner ring. Yeah, it's like... His... In friendship? In uh, Oh, forums? you're thinking of that. So I'm actually talking about... Have you ever read? It's a great... Okay, listeners too, but David also. His essay, it's like a seven-page essay called The Inner Ring. Oh, no. No, never read that one. It's brilliant. I haven't really read many of his essays. Okay. Well, check it out. I really want to gloat right now that I've read something you haven't read on C.S. Lewis. This feels great, by the way. Yeah, I'm totally cutting this out in editing. <laughs> so last week you put the most embarrassing thing I think I've ever said on live podcasting versus now you're going to cut out my finer moment. I thought it was your finest moment. You were demonstrating childlike humility. It was adorable. I truly, I was truly living into being pinky. It was really embarrassing. Uh, okay. I guess we just got to own it and move on. <laughs> it's hard to be humble when you're so awesome okay <laughs> time for the chapter the listeners are like shut up guys so to begin with jack distinguishes the different meanings of the word charity he says that because rhyme is such an important feature of say poetry people just think that poetry is rhyme and he says in a similar way these days charity refers to what in previous years we would have called giving alms giving resources, food, and money to the poor. However, originally it meant much more than that. It meant love in the Christian sense. And Lewis emphasizes that this isn't about emotions or feelings, but it's about the will. It's the thing that we naturally do concerning ourselves. We love ourselves. And this is the thing that the Christian faith tells us that we should learn to do with regards to other people. Yeah, I love that because we so much think of charity as a very simple thing, or as you mentioned, giving alms to the poor. But as you said, it's so much more. I mean, it's it's a love. It's the, the deepest of love in the Christian sense. It's an act of will. But what I like to also say is it's like, it's a state of being. It's a person. You become this type of person that just wills the love and the good of the other people. It's such a beautiful way of thinking about it. It's so much more. Well, if Jesus wants our best, if he wants what is best for us, and we try and conform ourselves to him, we will be becoming like him and therefore love like him. Exactly. Doesn't charity take on such a new meaning now? So that's what charity is. But now let's look at what does charity require of us? Does it require that I absolutely like everybody I encounter? And the answer, thank goodness, is no. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he spoke about this in the chapter on forgiveness. Exactly. And if we remember, Lewis pointed out, our love for ourselves does not mean that we like ourselves. It means that we wish our own good. In the same way, charity doesn't always mean liking those we are being charitable towards, which we can take a deep breath, thank goodness, because I don't always like everyone. Yeah, and he, he makes the point very clearly that your likes and dislikes of people, these aren't sins. No. That, that's no more than, say, your like or dislike for chocolate ice cream. But what we do with that, the choices that we make, what we will as a response to that, 
that's where we answer the question as to whether something is sinful or not. Because you can't always control your feelings. No. You can no. control what you do with them. Mm -hmm. There are some people that are just going to rub you the wrong way. <laughs> However, how you respond to that in action. And I hope in this podcast, David, you don't will your charity towards <laughs> me, but you actually have an affection and a liking towards me. Well, as Jack is going to go on to say that, you know, if you, if you will somebody else's good, eventually you'll start <laughs> to notice that some affection will develop. Ooh. I'll take it. It's okay. Our friendship began with friendship, so it's already above affection at this point. I feel like that. So with all that said, liking someone does make it easier, though. So if you mm. have to choose between liking someone and not liking someone, it would be nice to like them because you can be more charitable towards them. I love the comparison that he gives. He talks about it's the same reason that we should love healthy food and exercise. Yeah. Not because it's good health, but it's because it will help the nurturing of good health. In the same way, trying to like somebody isn't being charitable to them, but it can help in that endeavor. Yeah, if you just hate everybody you encounter, you have a really hard time. <laughs> you can develop a lot of virtue if you can somehow still be charitable, but it'd be a little easier just to like more people. But he then goes on and rather surprisingly says that developing this liking for other people, this affection for other people, it's actually, it can be a double-edged sword. It can actually end up being an obstacle to charity. Affection for one person can lead us to be uncharitable or unfair to someone else. This makes me think of the parents. You can think of the good parents and I don't want to say the bad parents. That's very judgmental. But the parents that <laughs> are so affectionate for their kid, they, they spoil them too much. They smother them with spoiling. And that creates entitlement, prevents development from happening. And you have the other parent that is incredibly good at tough love. Shows a deep amount of affection, but knows when you know what, I need to, I need to, I guess, lay down the law. They're seeking their child's ultimate good. Yes. Not simply their immediate happiness. So a child's ultimate good is to develop virtue, to be able to be patient. That requires you not to give them everything on demand. Yep. It requires their, them to develop fortitude and perseverance. That will sometimes require stepping back and letting them battle through something hard. And doesn't he say the, the former, the one that's spoiling, is actually a very selfish desire? Like mm -hmm. you don't want to, you don't want your kid to yell at you. You're too afraid of that. Your goal is just to have the perfect relationship. Yeah, he draws on this a couple of times. I think once in the four loves on affection, I think it was, mm -hmm. and then again in the great divorce, he speaks about a mother who loves, and I'm quoting, <laughs> loves her child so much that she wants to mollycoddle them. That her entire self worth is derived from this child that's a new word for my vocabulary mollycoddle <laughs> yeah it's probably an english thing but she she wouldn't want her child's prospering she didn't want her child growing and becoming all that he could be it was all about feeding her need and so that's one of the dangers he says that affection can lead to but also affection can mean that we are uncharitable to other people i remember several years ago i was running a competition on the website I had heard a priest give a talk, and he had this fantastic line. It was about the time of Epiphany. And he says, wise men still seek him, and they still find him with his mother. Hmm. It was Father Donald Calloway. Explain that. So the wise men sought the Lord, and where did they discover him? With his mother. So even today, wise men seek him still, and when they find him, they always find him with his mother. That Mary is still an important part of our faith life. Yeah. 
So he mentioned seeing this line on a car sticker, and he said that he'd searched high and low, couldn't find it. So I went on one of those design sites and produced several of those stickers. And I ran this competition. And one of the girls that I was really keen on, <laughs> she entered it. And I was so tempted just to give it to her because it was her. Oh. I didn't. That's good. I left it I left it up to random chance and she didn't win. <laughs> didn't every listener is gonna be wondering, did you ever ask her out or I did. Should I ask you how it went? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> You're single not. right now. Probably so not, yeah. Clearly something didn't go right. <laughs> let's assume that you dated her and she just wasn't the right one for you. Yes, let's say that. <laughs> now bringing this back to the third question so we've answered what is it and what does it require of us or more or less what it doesn't require of us mm -hmm. always liking the people the third question is how can we grow to become more charitable i'm wondering this right now because i would like to become this person that can will the good of the other lord knows i don't lewis points out that while feelings and actions they're not the same thing which is good because as i've already mentioned my feelings are not always very kind they are still related, and that can almost be a tool mm -hmm. for us in this process. Knowing this can very much help us grow into a charitable person. And really, the secret is charity can actually nurture affection. And again, just a reminder, charity is referring to seeking the good of the other. So when you will the good of the other, you will find you presently come to love them. Yeah, Lewis says, don't waste time bothering about whether or not you love your neighbor, whether you have feelings for them. He says, act as if you did. That's simple. Yeah. And then he says, just as you said, when you begin to behave like you love somebody, you presently do. What's interesting, and I don't know if this was proven psychologically back then, but it's the fake it till you make it almost. Mm -hmm. I, I might be oversimplifying it, but that's the psychological principle that they've shown really actually works. Mm -hmm. But he does point out that motivation matters. He says, yes, generally, if you act like you love somebody, you will generally start to have feelings of love for them over time. He gives one exception. He says, it's when you do somebody a good turn, expecting their gratitude. You're not doing this for love of God or because you know the law of love requires you to do this. You're doing it to get the gratitude and praise from the person that you're loving. He says, then you're not going to get what you expect. I mean, just from personal experience, I can say that very often you won't actually get back gratitude from somebody that you do a good turn sometimes it can be even be the complete opposite and then you just get disappointed and like, angry yeah and then I the did. reverse process happens exactly you start finding pride creeping in because all of your sentences begin with i did this i did this i did this yeah so what's important in all of this is the motivation of doing it for the selfless reasons and i'm glad he points this out because as a listener you could be thinking and i was originally of Oh, so it's just as simple as faking it till you make it, which is somewhat true, but it has to be faking it till you make it with the right motivation. Mm -hmm. really? Truly, truly wanting to become a person that actually loves them. Knowing that, admitting that, you know, I don't always feel it right now towards you, David, but I really want to, actually. And I don't care if you praise me or not. <laughs> Although praises are nice from time to time. Exactly. Everybody needs an attaboy or an girl. <laughs> And of course, throughout all of this, the opposite is true. Acts of hate can nurture hatred. Mm. And he gives the example, kind of chilling, again, when you remember the era in which he was writing. He said that the Germans first ill-treated the Jews because they hated them. But they probably afterwards came to hate them because they had ill-treated them. 
and the process of dehumanizing them and blaming them from, from, for everything, it nurtured the hate of the Jewish people in Germany. And I love that he doubles down on this and points out, when we act with love towards the other, we will find our love will compound with interest and vice versa. If we act with hate, it'll compound with interest. And this is that central theme we've talked about before, that your small actions will turn you into heavenly creatures or hellish creatures. You can, you can find this thread through all of Lewis's work. And I love when he brings this up when I first read it because it's very logical in me being in the financial space where rate of return, compounded interest is so important. I love here how he talks about it from a love perspective. Every day when you make that decision to love someone, it'll build on itself. And more and more, you'll become someone who can love greater. Who was it that said the most powerful force in the world is compound interest? Oh, I think, yeah, it was Einstein. Yeah, I just checked. Oh, it's so true. For We're going to go off topic here for like 30 seconds, but it's a short episode. Compounded interest, just to put money in the market and save, the, the effect of putting away certain amounts every single year turn, can turn, if, I think if you start in your 20s, you put $3,000 away a year, you'll have over a million dollars when you retire if you put it into the markets. What's interesting is that's like assuming a 7% rate of return. If you double that, just to put in perspective, within like a 10-year period, you know, $100 can turn into 600 rather than 300 Like it's amazing what just a, a small percentage of return every year extra can do. Hmm. I'm, result. I'm at the age where I've got life insurance. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same deal. The sooner you start it, the, the difference at the end goal, when yeah. they say if you started in your mid-20s, if you started in your 30s, world of difference yeah i can't quite remember the story but it was someone had done a sultan or some king of some description some great service and he was asked what he wanted and he said take a chessboard place one grain of rice on the first square and then on the next square double it so there's two and then on the next square double it so there are four and do it for the rest of the squares of the chessboard that's all the rice that i want and of course that actually grows up to be an incredible amount. Mm -hmm. All of this just makes me think. I'm trying to put this abstract concept into what would it look like if you compounded your interest of love every single day? You'd be Mother Teresa by the time you die. Exactly. There's the real tangible example. And I love the language that he uses for this when he talks about it in terms of a battle. Again, given the era of World War I, World War II, this were things that people knew. And he makes the point that even these small victories can lead to even greater victories in the future. And small, small defeats can lead to catastrophic failures further down the line. And you've only got to think of other things in life. For example, when somebody wants to run a marathon and they haven't run since high school, it will begin with just a run around the block and then two blocks and then three blocks and then a full mile and then two miles and three miles. Six months down the line, they can now run a marathon. Or if you're like me... <laughs> when I was abroad in England, I wanted to run the Paris Marathon. And I, I had I just stopped running. It was very dreary there. I wasn't very disciplined. And mm. then I thought about two and a half months before, I'm out here once. I want to do this. It's a two-hour channel ride away. So the first thing I do is go on a 10-mile run after not running for like three <laughs> months. I acquire runner's knee, patella femoral syndrome, because I was very under-trained. It was very stupid of me. Finished, barely. Wobbled across the finish line. Very slow, but worth it. So he now brings it to that final question that you spoke about. Loving God. 
we know we're meant to love God, but what do we do if we don't have those loving feelings? It's simple and the same thing we've been talking about. You will it. You act as if you love God. We're not always going to feel it, but we can always will it. Jack says, don't sit just trying to manufacture feelings. He says, just ask yourself, what would I do if I did love God? And once you have the answer to that question, go do it. Because God doesn't actually chiefly care about our feelings. He cares about our actions. God will give us feelings of love if he pleases. And as Jack has explained, in the process of loving, loving feelings tend to arise naturally. But whether God does give us those loving feelings or not, act like you do. This is exactly what we talked about in the Christian marriage episode. And I think you actually brought it up and I liked it. You can't, you're sitting up there and you're, you're confessing that I'm going to love you for the rest of my life. I like how you said, you can't promise to feel the same way for 75 years, <laughs> but you can promise to act a certain way for mm. 75 years. It's the exact same thing with our quote unquote marriage to God, our relationship with him. He knows, let's not pretend and fool him. He's the one person we can't fool that we're going to go on loving him every single day, at least the feeling side of it, but we can will it. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be fitting to bring in a video that you shared with me, and I don't know if we've put it in the show notes before. We, we have. have. Okay, mm-hmm. let's redo it for people who might just be jumping in now. But it's an awesome 30-minute video interview of Douglas Gresham talking about his stepfather, C.S. Lewis, and the way he lived charity better than anyone else he knew. He said that Lewis believed you give until it hurts until you are scared of what you've given, and then maybe you've given enough. He also said, we must always expect the best of people. And when we're disappointed, we find out why and make allowances for that. I love that one. Something I don't do very often. No, I do for myself. Oh yeah, You do it all the time, David, just not for others. For For my favorite person. Exactly. He gave examples. He said his charity, Lewis's charity, brought him to receive a letter from a child with brain damage or brain cancer, and he'd spend hours trying to craft it in a way that he would understand it, even if it was taxing to him. He responded to every letter he received. Douglas pointed out that Jack used to secretly pay students tuitions when he heard they were struggling or something happened that they were going to have to leave uni. He would pay it without them knowing, and in a few circumstances, students figured it out later. I love how Douglas points out everything Jack did reeked as if he was driven by the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite bits in that video is when he's talking about when he would be walking down the street and someone would say, good morning, professor. I say, good morning. It's like, how are you? Well, my sciatica. And he's like, that was it for like half an hour. (laughs) He said, Jack would sit and listen to this guy complain about his sciatica or whatever was going on, even if he was in a hurry. That's that state of being, you know, that charity was just a way of life is maybe a different way of describing this for C.S. Lewis. I would never do that. No. (laughs) I'd be like, I've got somewhere to be, dude. Sorry. I I like this quote that he brings up by John Donne. He's the author of No Man is an Island. And he mentioned that Lewis really believed in this verse, or this quote. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. When I read that, that was powerful. Because when someone dies, a part of him died. Later in this book, Jack is going to use different images to show this connectedness 
how I am involved with all of humanity and with the church. As I was going through this chapter of charity, another individual that came to mind that we've mentioned before, but you can never mention him enough, St. Maximilian Kolbe. <laughs> and in his story, when he was in Auschwitz, they'd have a program where they would select 10 men to go to a starvation room as a punishment. And in this example, they chose 10 men, which one was not St. Maximilian Kolbe, and he volunteered to go in place of one of the men. And then when he was there, it's that incredible story of he was worshiping, he was praying, he lived the longest of them all. He stepped into a situation where he didn't need to be into. He did it out of love, out of charity. When he was there, he showed love and charity towards God, towards the people around him. And he was the last to be standing. And then they went down to kill him with an injection because he wasn't dying. And what does he do? He shows the guard charity, holds his arm out to be killed. And I, what I loved about that was not just the selflessness towards the people that were around him, but I also love his charity towards God and his love for, I have to imagine he's in a moment and he's thinking, I'm going to go home now. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And a very Christ-like example. Yeah. To quote Jesus, no greater love has man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And the man whose life he saved that day ended up being at his beatification years later. Oh, I didn't know that. Together with his wife and family. Ooh, that's unreal. I'll give you chills. Lewis ends the chapter really strongly. This is what he says. The greatest thing to remember is that, though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we should be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. God wants to cure us of our sins because he wants us to dwell with him forever in heaven. And that's going to be the theme of the next episode. We're going to move from the virtue of charity to the virtue of hope. I think that's a good way to wrap up a beautiful chapter. Please follow us on social media. The show notes will be there as always, including the link to that video of Douglas Gresham. And join us next week when we're going to be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.